Hey, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Long Lost Heroes podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Frank, here as always with AJ. How are you tonight? I'm well, my friend. Hello. Thank you. Yeah, and we are back covering The Mandalorian Season 2. Uh, this episode is Chapter 11, The Heiress, um, and it aired on Friday, as usual, and this is the third of the season out of eight. We It's moving along. We still got a lot to go, but um, yeah, this episode... Well, it doesn't feel like the new car smell anymore, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, That's a good way defi- of putting it. <laughs> we're definitely into the season. Things are happening. We're rolling along. And, you know, before we get into this is going to be a very spoiler heavy episode for people who haven't seen this episode and listened to this podcast, which I can't imagine those people really exist. But like, holy shit, you guys got to go do the homework. Um, yeah, I get that they want to follow the build and release episode model that other TV shows do. I think that it's a little bit more difficult with star Wars to rein in the expectations of the fans when you have so much content coming out. You know what I mean? Like it just feels like, um, like, yes, I get that they want to do the, you know, this episode will build this, this episode will pay off kind of model. Yeah. Um, but it, there's not enough of episodes to really do that with. Like, even when we're talking about classic Game of Thrones, like, there was at least 13, 14, you know, maybe even 18 episodes across the span of a season at different points. Well, I mean, something like Game of Thrones, like, you're you're usually guaranteed to have at least minimum of 50 minutes. It's going to fill out an hour, like, because it, it's a block of television on on an actual premium cable, premium yeah. cable, whereas Mandalorian it's streaming. So they don't have to fill that out, which is, you know, always to the benefit, but also to the detriment. Um, this is the shortest one we've had at least a season, probably not overall, but with so much happened, but so much happened. And so it didn't feel short. Um, but, uh, so before we get into it, I just, <laughs> I have yeah. a, a mini public service announcement, I guess I'll say, Oh, please. I love it. Like everyone, it's it's a scary world out there. Spoilers oh, are so so serious and so real and you know you could do the best you can but even some, so I use the like the Google search app. I I have that on my mm. phone instead of like just typing into a browser or like asking Siri. And so like I don't even remember what it was, but it was on Friday and I was typing up, you know, probably like a recipe or something stupid like that and Google search has like these title cards, which a lot of times I really like because I find articles from websites I don't normally go to, but front and center was the big spoiler of this week. Oh man, I'm sorry, Frank. And it sucks because it's like, I was super excited. I was like, we have to watch this now. Like, let's go watch it now. Cause like, otherwise I'm going to be thinking about it. So do I know, you know, you could do your best to avoid Twitter and to avoid like your websites and search for things, but it comes at you in unexpected places too. So good luck, everyone. Um, <sighs> I'm with... sorry, man. <laughs> it's okay. Nobody was more excited about this than you. Yeah. Yep. You know, so like for you, for you to be spoiled like that, I'm sorry, man. Yeah. So now we're going to go into spoiler territory in three, two, one. If you if you haven't watched this episode, go away. So the big reveal of this episode is that Bo Katan Kreese is now 
in live action. She is a Mandalorian. She is from like the legacy characters from the Clone Wars and Rebels. Um, portrayed here by Katie Sackhoff from Battlestar Galactica fame as Starbuck. Um, and she actually voiced the character on, on the animated shows as well. Um, we kind of knew she was coming. It was announced earlier as, you know, one of the unofficial official things that, that was coming this season. But sure. it like I, it's exciting for me in so many ways. And there I have like things I want to talk about. But I think it makes sense story wise, too. That, ah. that I think that was why I, I think it was such a strong episode for, you know, fans of the animated shows, but also other Star Wars fans that are watching Mandalorian. You could be like, I have no idea who the fuck this is, but like, I think it was a solid episode. Like, it's definitely a solid episode. It's definitely a solid episode. That's that's for fuck sure, man. Um, you know, and, and to, to get into this before we get into like specifics or the nitty gritty, I just want to say one thing that I think was is very interesting, like, uh. To me, this episode is really proof of concept that if you bring on a brain who loves the content more than anything and create and can create within the boundaries of that world, mm-hmm. like you need that person on your team. Yep. And Dave Filoni is the fucking man. Like the yeah. legacy he cemented for himself with the cartoon characters that people like me and and I'm 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 wrong about this that like to look at them and just see cartoon characters when they're really not nope is is wrong and I think that it really is amazing probably for him and and the people who worked on those older shows and kind of the whole totality of Star Wars to see that we have a plan <laughs> there are people thinking about this there are people thinking about the big thoughts and that they're amazing but also to give credit where credit is due because I think the real amazing part of this episode is the careful planning and writing that uh, Filoni brings to the table. And even though she's an incredible director and even though this uh, episode had amazing action beats and action sequences and POV and really great direction, it's, it's wrong to put that all on Bryce Dallas Howard. She's great, but this is not her time to shine could have come later. Right. So I feel a little bit bad that like everybody this weekend is like, oh my god, you know, Bryce Dallas Howard delivered such a amazing episode. She's great. Like she kicked ass. Like yeah, she definitely did. She's great. She's awesome. But I think the the real victory, the real uh, achievement here, is that the Feloniverse characters have now crossed over to live action. Yep. Throughout the entire episode, we're kind of shown where the future of that is heading, and that's to me a bigger success. I, and yeah. like. I'm so excited about that now. I know, me too. And, and you know, like after the episode, I was like, "Wow, I was really surprised that this wasn't written or directed by Dave Filoni because it feels like it. It but feels like him, yeah. It feels like him, but obviously he's a part of the writing team and so even though it, like it's credited to John Favreau, like you know, he's there. They're 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 buddies. They're doing this all together. And I, you know, in looking um, on Wikipedia, they they've only announced the next two directors. And I have a theory that's gonna we're gonna tie back to later that I think why Dave Filoni did not direct this one. Um, putting oh. Bryce Dallas Howard in here, obviously she directed last season. Um, Sanctuary. Yeah, and you know I, I agree. I think she did a great job, but I think also the script was solid and it was tight, and they were able to to bring it all together. Um, 
So yeah, yeah, kudos to her. I was very impressed. Um, but you're absolutely right. I don't think all the credit can ever be to the director. <laughs> Not to this show. And no. and like and that's something I think that you gotta like to me, like the James Bond podcast really taught us is there's so many people behind the scenes making these things that to attribute them to one person is almost silly because it's so not just one guy mm-hmm. or one girl. Like it is a team of people working collectively, hopefully as much as they want to be, um, you know, to make this. And again, how amazing would it have been if this is the route they would have done with the sequel movies? Yeah. Like to say, you know what? Like we got this dude. He's making cartoons right now, but fuck it. Like he really fucking loves Star Wars, <laughs> you know? And like you bring him and you throw him the Lucas scripts and you, because which we know more about this week now again, like, Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) Way better. Like way like his, the, the ranking on that we did in those years when it was released that his scripts got thrown out, like so wrong. Like he had a fucking idea. He had a fucking plan. He had a fucking, uh, connect the dots, you know, lineage of of a plan which was also different from the everything that had happened in the extended universe already like you know yeah i I remember like back in like 2004 2005 after revenge of the sith and like finding these ideas on the internet of like what it was going to be based on the on the books and everything um but his this plan is even totally different than that and whatever i it's a shame, and there's there was always been this rumor lately of like, oh, they're gonna come back and they're gonna loopy loopy somehow remake it and do a new trilogy with George Lucas. I just don't know how they're gonna. No, do that's that. that's not gonna happen. Can't happen. What what they should have done, and I think what they learned from the first time is that you need a brain. You need back to Dave Filoni. You need somebody who loves this content, who is making this content in some respect already. Yeah, and then you give them a. a you you don't give them everything, but you give them a, a, a you you allow them to set a path, yeah. allow them to tell you where they're thinking of going. Because if they had done these with the sequel movies, they would have been more successful. They would have had a more uh, you know um, collective feel of an identity and a story. And to me, like in a couple of years, like we're gonna either just be talking about Last Jedi or we're just gonna be talking about um, the Force Awakens. And that's going to kind of be it. And, and like, that's fucking sad because, sad. you know, the, it's not the actors. It's not the characters. It's not the um, it's not the action. It's not the way they made these movies. It is literally the fact that they wanted to make money off of these. And they and made a they, fuck ton. And they made a fuck ton. And they spent no time thinking about how these products need to come out. So that's why I'm so happy that The Mandalorian looks and feels the way that it does. And back to this, like, build and release episode or, or the, the um, you, you know, the build and, and the action episode. Right. Like, if they can nail this model and set that expectation going forward, you're going to have some really loyal fans. Right. And, and, I, and I think that's – like, I mean, think back. We were just talking about Game of Thrones, another prime example. Like, everybody knew episode nine of the season is going to be the big one. Right. Yeah. So like you're going in, you know, episode eight. Okay, you know, there may be some crazy shit that happens, but come back next week to watch really what's going to happen. So and and maybe that's what it is. And maybe we just need to get our expectations aligned with the way that they're they're thinking, Um, because, yeah, I mean, I I think to borrow something from our uh, previous series on James Bond, I, I think we could just maybe 
outline the plot kind of quickly because I feel like there's oh yeah sure more to say about the the history and then the implications of moving forward than necessarily exactly. what happens in this episode. So essentially, um, uh, Mando uh, makes his way to the the planet um, that he's supposed to deliver the Frog Lady. They basically crash land into the water, um, and then they the, the Frog Lady reunites with her husband. Yada yada yada. He tells him where to go to find other Mandalorian. He goes to this bar with which also the Quarren look fucking awesome with their little tentacles moving around they, as they nailed the look. Like I'm I'm a little bit bummed we didn't get to go to the home world, right? Yeah. Like there's a separate home world where all these guys live, but yeah, Mon, Mon Calamari, yeah. But um, it was I think they executed this dichotomy like really pretty fucking cool. And it definitely felt um that we were in the big expanded star Wars world that you get yeah. in Mando that like, and, and it's even interesting. Like, like last week we were just on Tatooine, you know, and even me and you were like, well, fuck, we're back on Tatooine already. And like, you get immediate, you get two planets away from it. And like, we are now like, wow, this is like, this feels this, star Wars, you know, it's so different. Like we were in the trailers. We were like, ah, we're so excited for star Wars on a boat, which we get. <laughs> yeah. You <laughs> totally get, get. Uh, uh, he, he hitches a ride with, with the, these Quarren, um, who are allegedly going to take him to other Mandalorian. Um, it's, uh, and they're not wrong about that. Uh, no, no. <laughs> they just didn't expect that they would die. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> different outcome. Be, yeah. Different outcome because, uh, the Mandalorians come to his rescue, uh, because baby Yoda gets snatched by this giant creature that they have in, in the ship. Um, and he gets set down there and, you know, things are looking pretty grim, but yeah, again, we always know they're going to get out of it somehow. Um, I, I do. I, the one complaint is like, I am not really fond of what happens a lot lately is that he's getting backed into a corner and then he can't figure a way out of it. You know, like mm. I don't like him being rescued too much. It kind of undercuts him. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, and so then when, when, it's revealed uh, that the Mandalorians come to save him and that everybody else is killed is when we get Bo-Katan and she takes off her helmet uh, and looks just like the, the character from the, the animated series. Um, and she's got two other members in her crew. Um, so really quick, the, the one of the characters that we'd been speculating about before um, played by Sasha Banks. Um, she's one of the, the crew is the Night Owls, which is, you know, not Watchmen, but anyway. And then um, <laughs> the other guy, uh, Simon, I, I have it up here. I had it up. Ca Cassianades, I think his, his last name is. And he was uh, he was in Quantum of Solace and he's on S.H.I.E.L.D. So some like other familiar faces, which is cool. But they those characters specifically, I think, are new um, and weren't in the shows before. But we finally have an interaction with like another big Mandalorian character uh, against Din Djarin, And it's like, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, I agree with you. Um, I think the reveal was absolutely spot on. Awesome. Um, they are so lucky that they were able to use the voice actor to portray the actor actress in live action. Like that's, how rare is that? Right. You know I mean? And I, you know, I wonder if to me, if it's like 
foresight in any way. Because, like, Katie Sackhoff is an actress. Like, she's not yeah. a voice she's actor. She's not a voice actor. And, like, if you had – and that's what they're going to have problems with maybe in some of the other characters from Animated. Um, but, like, having that as a guest star opens up the opportunity for, for her to show up later, and, and it's great. So um, – but so basically they, you know, they set up this, this deal where like he's trying to, you know, he's still looking for uh baby Yoda, the child's species or the Jedi. And they, they strike a deal that he needs to help them with this whole Imperial, uh, I guess it's weapons that they're trying to steal initially. Um, mm-hmm. And it sets up a, an amazing action set piece, like, and it feels like it goes on for a really long time. And I, I when we were texting about it, I was like, it feels like um, Winter Soldier, like when they're they're getting onto the the boat. <laughs> they're like, so, yeah, great, pulled vibe. <laughs> it was perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and I think they even say, "Oh, they're pirates." I'm like, they're not fucking pirates. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're the imperial scum. Like, you're the bad guys here. Um, and it's just so interesting to me how, like, how much the, the Empire still is, like, it's kind of big, and they're still kind of everywhere. Yeah. Uh, it felt, you know what it did? It felt like it, I understood better how the First Order comes around. You know yep. what I mean? Yes. That, like, you feel like that there are definitely these guys who are sympathetic, and everything they've ever known their whole life is about the Empire, and that they're not just going to go fucking quietly and that, you know, it's it's such a big uh, industry, but it's also such a big galaxy that like they don't need to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like what's happening now. You know, like they don't have to just like secede and say, oh, we lost. Like, OK, cool. Like they can kind of live under their own new reality and, and kind of go on and do what they got to do. Yeah. You know? And uh, sorry, Trump supporter fans. We're not fans of you. Uh, the tweet, and I do not care. No. I do not care if nope. you leave. Not Go fuck all. yourself. Um, the uh, the reality is is that you know the empire. It, it, it you know there were so many different aspects of it. You know, and and I think I hope we get to see a little bit more into that. You know that they touched upon it a little bit in last Jedi where you see that there's, you know, buyers and sellers and people are making money and profiteering and not in, and there's like a bigger universe at play, but I would also be, you know, interested to see, you know, more like Imperial captains like this guy having to deal with, you know, the way that the, the uh, new or the rebels have taken over. There was, you know, the resistance has taken over. Yeah. uh, It definitely felt like, um, that they were a hardened batch of bad guys. Yeah. You know, and you could see that with Gideon's kind of uh, explanation of, of what he tells him to do, which is, all right, well, if, if they're that far up the ship, you know what has to happen next. Yeah. Well, and it's crazy because, like, I, I think when we were watching season one, you see, like, like small batches of stormtroopers, right? Like when he, what's the uh, the client, and he's only got a couple of dirty stormtroopers. It's like okay, yeah, there's not much. And by the end of the season, we were like, wait, no, there's a lot more, and it just keeps getting bigger. And, and you realize that it's not that they necessarily have control anymore, but they're still a threat. Um, and, and I think that's they're a what's, huge threat. Yeah. They're a huge threat. And I also love. Um, I know this is getting back to the beginning, but the repurposed AT-AT at the beginning of the shot, yes. right after they pull the razor crest out of the water. Yeah, that was great. Chef's kiss, beautiful, <laughs> lovely. Um, You'd love to see that. 
yes, it's it's so so fantastic. Um, because that's that makes this universe feel lived in, right? Like, well, taking again, something and- like last last season at the sanctuary with the AT uh, ATST, right? Like, just like I had to do, I had to do some research about Bo Katan and kind of what her appearance really means. So I watched a couple of thingies before this, okay, you know, to try to like look at different stuff. Um, but something I do want to mention, kind of before we get into the the larger relations here, and I'd love you to kind of explain to me and kind of the, the listeners at home who Bo-Katan is and what she means. Yep. Uh, but before we get into that, just really quickly, um, I love the fucking tavern on this planet. I I love it. Yeah. I don't, like, it just felt so correct. Like, uh-huh. in all the ways that and the this guy, I, I think it was Screen Crush maybe I was watching, but, like, in all the ways the prequel... Uh, dining locations felt off or felt um, referential to things we have, like specifically the diner and the sports bar sequences. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, like this is a Star Wars restaurant. Yep. You know what I mean? Like this is, there's no screens. There's nope. no crazy lights. It's literally people eating. They're talking. Maybe there's music. But it's very stripped down and lived in. And it's lived in, but it also feels relatable. Like this feels yeah. like it's like a, a a tavern off of a New England town where you get your chowder, right? Like, like that's what fucking it feels a, like. fucking a. So, uh, all real, right. Real so let's talk to, about Bo-Katan. Uh, Im- oh, go ahead. I'm Imperial sorry. Imperial for a second. I also like that Titus Welliver is in this episode. Um, he's he's the imp- Imperial. I don't know officer. I guess on the ship, and he kind of fits that like look really well um he was in oh some... he's such a good bat he's such a good imperial he, like he's yeah. like cast he, in he's it it's like bosch i think he's on and he's been in so many other things like sons of anarchy and whatnot but he's great and the thing that you mentioned like you got to send the ship down he's got like star wars um like a capsule like <laughs> a cyanide capsule kind of thing right like but it's electronic and that was something we've never seen before which was really cool Oh, it was, that was a great. That was a great sequence. He was he was perfectly cast. Yep. And and I hope that we get to see more bad guys like that. Like, you know who I loved? I loved Kennedy from the opening sequence of Last Jedi. Yes. Like, these like when they cast the Imperials correct, like it looks and feels so awesome. And, and it felt it brings you back to the original trilogy because you remember all these like henchmen and the different levels that, that they rise and fall to, you know, like, like general Nita, you know, he doesn't last very long. (laughs) You know, like Vader's done with that motherfucker. All right. Now we gotta, we gotta gotta sit and we gotta really talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So give you a little history here. History. Yeah. I'm in about Bo-Katan. So Bo-Katan was originally a member of the death watch back in the Clone Wars era, um, and she is the sister of Duchess Satine. So she, the Duchess Satine Kreese is the, the leader of Mandalore, and the Death Watch is this other organization of um, which we hear more about in this episode that want to bring Mandalore back to its like original days. And the leader of the Death Watch was Pre Vizsla, voiced by Jon Favreau back in the day, um, and he has the dark saber. That's the first mm-hmm. we see of the dark saber. The dark saber, um, in, in the lore is, was created by the first Mandalorian that became a member of the Jedi order. And so he had this special dark saber created, but basically what it means is whoever has the dark saber is the rightful heir and ruler of Mandalore. 
and the Mandalorian people. So Bo-Katan is kind of torn between, uh, you know, the, the Death Watch ways and uh, her sister and, and what may be the more right side of things. Ultimately, when Darth Maul comes into the picture, you know, again, spoilers, he's alive in the shows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he um, uh, overthrows Pre Vizsla, kills him, and takes the, Darth, the dark saber for his own. And even though he's not a Mandalorian, becomes the leader of the Death Watch. Bo-Katan doesn't like this, and now she becomes a good guy and starts to work with uh, our other heroes like Obi-Wan and Ahsoka Tano. Um, and ultimately, it all it all comes to a head uh, by towards the mid, uh, I think, season five. So it's not the end of the show yet, but um, Duchess Satine, the ruler of Mandalore, her sister is killed by Darth Maul as a mark of vengeance to Obi-Wan because obviously he hates Obi-Wan because he almost killed him. And this like breaks Obi-Wan and this is a big part of his arc in this, in this, in the show, right? Exactly. Cause he's always like, unlike Anakin, he's put his feelings aside, but you could tell that he loves her and is in love with her, but they've never been able to do anything about that. So, right. so that, that happens um, later on the, in the final season of Clone Wars, which aired earlier this year, um, we get Bo-Katan again um, with her night owls and these other um, members on the good side of the, the Mandalorian warriors, um, uh, including Sabine's, uh, who's in Rebels, her mother. So lots of Mandalorian. There's a big, it's called the Siege of Mandalore, trying to take back Mandalore from Darth Maul, which they succeed in doing. Um, but they don't have the Darksaber at this time. This is when we jump forward to Rebels. And because Rebels, it takes place, uh, I think, five years prior to A New Hope. Um, but there's... Oh, really? A, yep, yep. So it's like pre-Rogue okay. One. Yeah, so, it, you know, this is after the Empire has risen, and but they're, it's trying to spark the rebellion, obviously. So eventually, the Dark saber comes into possession by Sabine Wren, uh, who is one of the main characters on that, on that show. And she never feels like she earns it and is the like ruler of Mandalore. And she needs to pass it on to somebody. And eventually she comes into contact with Bo-Katan, who is trying to lead her crusade to get the Empire out of Mandalore and kind of free it. And so that's the mm. last time we saw the Darksaber. Bo-Katan, uh, the last time was the last uh, holder of it, which, you know, when we first see Moff Gideon at the end of uh, last season with the Darksaber, it's like, wait, what the fuck? How does he have it? And so I think there's a lot of story in there between the end of Rebels and, you know, the beginning of the Mandalorian, and because they keep talking about this uh, great purge, which, you know, in, in the show, they, they talk about with all the Beskar steel that's stamped with the um, Imperial logo, like something bad happened on Mandalore. And mm. and we think that Moff Gideon is involved, and that's how he has the dark saber, and that's why she's on this show because she wants it back, and she wants to take her planet back. Um, huh? Uh, it, it's a lot, <laughs> but like, it's really rich, and it's some of the most interesting stuff that they did on the show. I sent you an article that like outlines, you know, I think there's maybe 
eight episodes or something. Maybe there's a couple more than that, but like it's really compelling um, of some of the best uh, episodes to watch for Clone Wars and Rebels to really like understand what's going on. Because she also has ties to Ahsoka, which obviously they're both on both animated sh- shows. And here at the end of the episode, she tells Din Djarin to go find Ahsoka Tano, which De-de-de-de. is fucking huge. <laughs> That's bigger than anything. Yeah. That's bigger than anything. Um, okay, so I have some questions. Please do. Um, first of all, um, wouldn't it have been more interesting to see how people got certain lightsabers? Yeah. I just I just think that that's a very compelling story and that they're just, like, such fucking idiots for not looking at that. Like, I mean, isn't like, there some deleted scene in, I think, Return of the Jedi that had Luke crafting his lightsaber and then they it's don't? It's huge. It, like, but it, that, it, that's cool. And, like, that's a very, like, that's, like, super-duper trivia, right? Like, we could definitely kick some people at pub trivia with that shit. Yep. But, <laughs> like, but even still, like, the idea that we pick up with Anakin's Luke's lightsaber in the beginning of Force Awakens and it's just a throwaway line that, like, we're, that we're, a story for another time that we never learn about. Yeah. Is like and and like you can go back and you can look up the you know the production notes why they they did this instead of other things but like to me like that is such a compelling idea and I'm so glad that they are like really going to be doubling down on it here because it has big implications like this is a new type of lightsaber we've never even seen before. Like my first question really is a dark saber a lightsaber or is it some kind of other entity itself? I I think it is a lightsaber. It um it functions in the same way, uh, but its blade is very different. Um, you know, I, I think similar to how Kylo Ren's lightsaber is so different and weird. Like, uh, I guess that this is, you know, a liberty liberty that they were able to take um, because it, it can combat a lightsaber and it's not going to it's not going to lose. Basically, you know, it's like if it's a Jedi's weapon, it'll work, you know, for anybody. Is it else. powered by a crystal? It is powered by a crystal. Um, but like most of the people that have wielded the, the dark saber that we've seen, uh, mm. I think, I mean, other than Darth Maul are not force sensitive. And so like, that's also, you don't need to, to be, force. you don't need to be force sensitive to use it correctly. Right. But we, as we've seen other characters pick up a, uh, a, a lightsaber, like I guess more specifically like Han, right? Like he uses it to cut the Tauntaun because later on right. we find out that Finn is actually force sensitive. Right. Correct. <laughs> but I feel so, bad for him, man. Like I feel like we could write the best like Finn solo shot story. Like like just like yeah, like one like doesn't even have to be really intense. Like just like him going and finding some other stormtroopers. Right. You know, like boom, there's a movie. Like yeah. I'm, I'm I'm ready for that. Uh, okay. More questions about the dark saber. Okay. So Bo Katan and these Mandalorians. Um, did she take her helmet off in the show? Yes. Okay. So that's another huge thing that is revealed. And the answer, because everyone's like, well, why does the Mandalorian never take his helmet off? But they always took their helmets off in the show. And so, like I was saying before, um, originally Bo-Katan was from the Death Watch, pre the Death Watch, Darth Maul. This is what she refers to as a, a children of or child of the Watch, the more religious uh, zealot uh, sect of Mandalorian culture that from all these years has been passed down. Like the, the death watch were the ones to rescue Din Djarin as a child. And so he's adopted all of their mentalities of going back to like the old ways of Mandalore. Whereas 
Bo-Katan and Sabine Wren and all the other characters that we saw on Mandalore in the shows always took their helmets off because they were on the planet. They were born there. It's like they don't need to prove it, you know? And, and maybe it's something about, like, him being a foundling that he that, – I think there'll be a reckoning. I, I think there's going to be some more to that conflict and how, like, he's like, well, but this is the way. <laughs> I don't understand. This well, is it brings what they back, again, a classic Star Wars trope of point of view. Yes. You know, that, like, who is really right? Who has the correct point of view and who doesn't? You know, like, again, Absolutely. very compelling stuff. Okay, more questions about Bo-Katan. Yeah. So um, do we believe that her aging is correct? Was she more of a teen character in the earlier episodes of the TV show? To age up with, I would say, a 30-year-old, 30-plus-year-old lady Uh, where we see her now. So I would say there's always a caveat in Star Wars because Mm -hmm. it's, you know, a fantastical universe. People age it. Like, we look at Obi-Wan or it's like, how did he age so much in 20 years? And, like, it's like, well, he was on a a desert planet in the sun. It's really fucking hot. Um, Agreed. But, yeah, I mean, I think she is... Probably a little bit older than she looks. Um, because even on Rebels, they aged up the character to get, make her look look a little bit like she had like some lines on her face and stuff. And it's like okay, because that was maybe fifteen years later in the in the Clone Wars era, and now we're another like I don't know ten plus years. Yeah, that seems about right. So I mean, I, I think it's believable that she's in her forties though. Okay. So and then. Um... Last question. Mm-hmm. Um, are we worried about Bo-Katan's like, moral compass? Like, Is she somebody who could be a good guy and a bad guy? Is she somebody who is purely a good guy? Is she some pure, somebody who was uh, a bad guy, but now she's a good guy? Like, Are we worried about her like, in, like going forward? Like, Will we know that she's like a protagonist kind of character? Or like, could she be part of a different kind of plot? I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, I think that is a huge question um, because of her her backstory and the fact that she was a member of the Death Watch and left it because of the direction it was going. I think she has a very clear, like, difference in mentality than Din Djarin. So, like, they could butt heads, but for a while they will probably have a similar goal because, you know, obviously he came into contact with Moff Gideon last season even though he's not looking for Moff Gideon, Moff Gideon's probably looking for him and she's looking for it for Moff Gideon. So they've got this like triangle where like, I think he would, they would help each other, but at a certain point, you know, it, it could be interesting. I think mostly her intentions are altruistic and she wants to do what's best for her people, but she's obviously not afraid to, to do some damage. Like, and she definitely is no friend of the empire. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, do you are you happy with 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 it so far like like you're you're a big fan of the shows you watched them i've seen a couple episodes here and there i can't say that i've done as much of the homework as you have um are you happy with this representation yes very very happy um again i would have been much happier if i didn't get spoiled but like the the reveal of her flying in and because seeing a mandalor a female mandalorian in armor is very different. I mean, we even had a little bit of that last season, but like, I'm like, no, that looks like 
the armor from the shows and like it's spot on like the helmet is exactly the same and like the armor is a little bit different because you know you're playing with an actual actress versus like the stylized version of the clone wars where everyone was like you know had no waste um yeah <laughs> um but I, I mean because it's katie sackoff and i've loved katie sackoff since you know watching battlestar galactica for the first time which we're currently in our probably third or fourth rewatch of and i thought she would have been a great captain marvel for the record um that's oh, separate conversation wow. but having her back is fantastic it, it's again bringing your family back in they're really good at, at doing that um, and, and I think story-wise, it makes sense. Like I said at the start of this, like having her here for the plot of the Mandalorian is great. She's not like too big of a character, like that. That's going to derail the entire thing. But I think she'll be an important side character for the rest of the season and maybe further on moving forward. Because we we ultimately don't know her fate past this. Um, so I, I I think it's a great addition. Wow, I can't believe she could have been Captain Marvel. She was probably a little bit too old for when they did it in, in 2019. That it, fucking, she would have been awesome. She would have been awesome. She was a fucking star fighter pilot. Like, it was perfect. She's yeah. so... Yeah. Uh, That's, anyway. That's bad casting. Sorry about that. Uh, okay. Um, all right. So I think the only other thing I wanted to speak about this episode, just for a quick, you know, two seconds here, is... The taking of the Imperial Freighter, I think, is one of the best action beats they've ever done on this show, period. Um, And I think that they're getting very innovative and really good at reinventing Star Wars action again and again. That, you know, we're coming at it from a different approach, obviously, through Mando and his bounty hunter style, you know, doings. Um, But, again, like, it was so exciting to watch them launch off on their jetpacks and land on the side and start to throw some of the troopers off and then to get inside the ship. And, you know, it definitely felt as exciting as you can of like those video game playthroughs or battlefront, like to really feel, um, first of all, familiar in the environment, right. To have the alarms, to have the lights, to have the, the set really, um, embody everything we know of what an Imperial freighter would look like in your imagination. But then to, like, execute it in a really captivating and exciting way where it's funny. Like, I love the bit where they're like, we locked them in the, the, the control bay. And the guy just, like, rolls his eyes and they blow out the back of the fucking cargo. That's fucking genius it's writing. So it's good. genius. Uh, I couldn't have thought of that no, ever. Really. Really. That was excellent. I loved her little speech that she gives to the captain when she has the the communicator. That's a really excellent sequence, and mm-hmm. um, you definitely felt her her rage and and her and her character and and her um, what what she's trying to do throughout that throughout that sequence. Uh, I, I just think that that's a really excellently executed bit of filmmaking, and I hope that they kind of save that for more of the episode it felt very season episode uh six from last year with bill burr when they were doing the um that 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 sequence just felt it felt real but it also felt tense and and you and it's exciting and it definitely has that edge of your seat quality um and uh i i I don't know that was definitely like highlight real level stuff for me like i really enjoyed 
that whole sequence. Uh, I agree. I, I think it's like this episode was it had a lot to do with the plot. There was a lot to do, you know, story advancement, great action. The pacing w- was excellent. Like it just it was kind of firing on all cylinders. And yeah, I, I, I and it's funny because like Yodi's barely in it. Like he. Uh, yeah, they're I, doing well getting away from Yodi. Yeah, like that is a they're they are smart in how they execute that in that like yes you're it's not going to be a yodi free episode like no. they know that they can't do that but how do we give yodi something else to do while mando gets to execute this higher level action yeah and they i, I think that they did it really well i love the joke when uh <laughs> Din brings him to the frog people and is like, we're going to behave <laughs> respectfully. I, I like that he got his comeuppance like more than one occasion this week, right? Like the, there was the, uh, the, the bowl of soup. Then there was the gigantic fish thing. And then the yes. one at the end of the episode in the ship, it's like, it made it work better for me last week with all the egg eating and all that. But like, I don't know. I, I, I think they maybe overshot it a little bit, but course corrected somewhat here. Um, they did, but it's still, again, it comes back to that theme of that, you know, Yodi is not just, you know, a parcel that Mando is delivering. Like, he's a little guy, and you have to put him with the frog people in order to go on this adventure with the Mandalorians. Yeah. and You have to come back and get him. That You can't just take the ship and go run off into space. Like, there's consequences and like, I'd like that they're kind of playing that angle. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see what they do with it. The only problem I have is I kind of know, or I can imagine where they would be going with it. And I don't want, I really don't think I want to see, nor does anyone really want to see an episode where Mando has to choose between an adventure or being with Yodi or to like for uh, Mando to make the decision that like to take this kind of, shortcut in getting Yodi to his completing his task or quested his quest. Um, like, I, I don't want to see that happen. Like, like this is my the last thing I think we could end on is like, is giving Yodi to Ahsoka, which is what we know his plan is. We don't know if we're going to see Ahsoka next episode. We don't know how it's going to be revealed for sure, but is giving Yodi to Ahsoka a conclusion to that arc? I don't think so. I don't think it is. And here's why. <laughs> so, well, my my first point that uh, we were, again, texting about and confirmed by what I saw on Wikipedia, that Dave Filoni is directing episode five, the one that oh, will air shit. on Black that's Friday. That's him. That's it. You're that's, right. That's when Ahsoka's showing up. That's got to be. And he wrote that episode, too. And so, like, as much as everyone's super excited and it's like, oh, my God, Ahsoka's going to show up next week, bring it in. Like, get our expectations yeah. lower. If she shows up, amazing. But I just think that the way that the show has been going and the pacing, they're going to get off track somehow. Or they're going to go there and she's not going to be there. Or whatever it is. But, again, the story of Ahsoka Tano is very complex and long. But she left the Jedi Order. She is not a true Jedi. Like, she was helping the Rebels. And she was kind of a mentor to Ezra, who was becoming a Jedi. But she wasn't his master. She's like at the last we've seen her, she uses white light lightsaber. She's kind of in the middle. So bringing Yodi to her is not the end of the line. And it's only going to either advance the story. Like I don't, again, what do we expect? Because I don't think we 
the um I don't think Mando realizes that there's a difference between Jedi and Yoda's species. And dee, dee, dee. So like once you kind of connect those dots, it's like, "Oh, wait. So you're not you're a, a Jedi sort of ish. You're not like him. Maybe I should take him to his people." Like I think that's where it's going to go because ultimately this child isn't going to be brought to Luke Skywalker. Like that's not where the show's ending. Oh my god. But does Ahsoka even know Luke? No. Why would she she wouldn't know Luke. She doesn't know Luke either. I mean, obviously she knows Anakin, but like the does the wider universe know the story of Darth Vader and his his fall at this point that he was actually Anakin Skywalker? I don't think so. So mm. um I mean, she knows that Anakin and Darth Vader are one and the same, but I don't think she knows that he had children. Um anyway, We'll see what happens. I mean, she's going to show up and... Coming soon. We don't know when. Coming and, soon. And, and it's the hype level is real. But uh, again, we don't want to take away from the story of this show. And so far with yes. Bo-Katan, I think they did a great job. It fits the story. Maybe the having Ahsoka show up will be a spinoff, uh, a, a pilot for a spinoff, right? That she'll go on her own adventure. But I think she'll be essential to this piece of the story. I couldn't think of a better place to end on, my friend. And with that, uh, thank you for tuning in to this uh, episode of the Long Lost Heroes podcast. We appreciate it. We love you guys. Thank you. Please remember to like and subscribe. Uh, we know we say it all the time, but it's super huge and important. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, go ahead and subscribe. Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, uh, whatever you got. Subscribe on multiple platforms. You don't have to just describe on one. I mean, why would you do that? Anyway, <laughs> uh, you can also find us on all the social medias uh at long lost heroes podcast or excuse me at llh podcast on facebook instagram and twitter you can go to our webpage www.longlostheroes.net and uh you can make sure um to give us a rating or a review which would also be very very helpful to us frank final thoughts uh apologies for this episode being longer than the episode itself but there's just so much to that. unpack <laughs> Anyway, yeah. we hope you enjoyed uh, this episode of the show and our podcast. We will be back next week to cover chapter 12, whatever it ends up being called. Wait, did you see that thing about how the Mando theme can work with almost any Star Wars theme? Did I send that to you? The Imperial theme, the Force theme, the uh, the Le Leia's theme, like literally any Star Wars or Duel of the Fates, like any classic Star Wars theme. Like the Mandalorian can be played like right behind it and work perfectly. Like either Ludwig is a is like a true genius who like really needs our like reference, or like they are the luckiest motherfuckers. <laughs> like, sorry, sorry, y'all. That's a little bit of music geekery. Bye. Mm -hmm.